Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you uh, today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church. So glad that you're with us, and it's good to be with the rest of you family and friends uh, as we continue a series that we started off last week. Uh, we're calling uh, The Gospel and Life, and we're looking at the second half of the book of Ephesians. And uh, before we get into that, let me just ask you guys a quick question. If you could change anything about yourself right here on the spot, what would you change? Krista and I, my wife and I, we, we, we ask each other that question just periodically. And um, right now, we've got our 10-year anniversary trip coming up in, in July. We're going to the beach. And so we're both trying to change a little bit about our physical appearance. Now, I have a lot more changing to do than Krista does. She, she's just trying to recover from two C-sections. I'm trying to recover from 10 years of eating too much. And so I, I've got a little bit more changing to do. But I wouldn't actually choose... The physical, physical, my shape, my physical weight as the thing that I would try to change right here on the spot if I was given that option. And the reason why is because I've got a plan that I'm working. I've lost some weight. Some of y'all have noticed. Thanks for the encouragement. But I lost a little weight over the course of the year. I've got a plan I'm working. I know kind of how to do that. I think that what I would choose is something that seems to me a lot harder to change. Something about like my, my heart, something about my character. Like I've put some thought into that this week and, and thought, well, what would I change? And this might sound a little bit deep, but I think what I would change is my propensity to put other things ahead of God. And, uh, you know, it's like the first commandment, Ten Commandments, you shouldn't have any other gods before me. And it's like, man, that's one of the reasons why I've eaten so much over the course of, or too much over the course of 10 years is because I look to food sometimes to be my comforter and to be my rest instead of God. I'd be much more in shape if I was actually putting God in his rightful spot there. And it would affect so many other areas of my life, too. I wouldn't be so up and down all the time when it comes to uh, my identity and, like, finding worth in what other people think about me or how things are going. Like if, if there's a lot of people here on a Sunday morning, I might feel really up. And if there's no one here, then I'll feel really down. And like that, kind of stuff, like that wouldn't be the case if I put God first. But man, that feels like a big, a really hard thing to change. Like I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to like deep-seated beliefs and character issues, that feels harder to change. If I could take a shortcut and just know, okay, if I could change anything about me, that's why I'd choose that over like dieting and stuff because I have a plan on how to change the physical side of things, but to change my inner life, man, that, I, that feels hard. Like, how do you change? How do you change on that level? Well, that's the, that's the question that we're going to be looking at, uh, look, or trying to answer today in the passage that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, 17 through 24. So if you've got your Bibles, you might open up to that. Uh, I've got it on the slides for us as well. But as before we turn there, let me just remind us again, like we're looking at Ephesians, the second half of the book of Ephesians, because in the spring, we did seven weeks on the first half of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3. And we spent seven weeks studying the first half of the book of Ephesians. And what we saw in that was that Paul just over and over again in the first three chapters emphasizes and re-emphasizes who we are in Christ. That if you're a Christian, meaning that you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you've trusting in him alone to be reconciled to God, that when you've put your faith in him, then you become, Paul says, like over and over again, you become a new person. You are uh, moved from being um, 
uh, outside the family of God into being adopted into the family of God. You go from being unreconciled to God to being reconciled to God. You, yes, you have your sins forgiven. That's a huge thing. But you, even more, like positionally, you go from being a sinner to a saint. Like there's all these incredible positional changes that your whole identity changes, that your identity is no longer based on what you do but it's based on what Jesus has done for you. You don't earn your identity, you receive your identity from God. Like that was these incredible, rich theological truths, first half of the book of Ephesians. And then we stopped at the end of the spring. We said, okay, let's, let, let's sit on that for a little while. And we did, we talked about some other things for a little while. And then now, starting last week, we're picking back up here. And why reason we stopped it at the end of Ephesians chapter three and kind of uh, took a pause there is because and starting in chapter four, he pivots. In, in, this, uh, in this letter that Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, he, he basically says, okay, this is who you are. And then starting in verses four, I mean, chapters 4 through 6, he says, in light of that, this is how you ought to live. In fact, key verse is uh, chapter 4, verse 1, when he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Which is basically, in light of who you are in Christ, what you've been called to, here's how we walk. Here's how we live in light of that. Let that flesh out practically. And so last week we saw the first step of that, and it had a lot to do with community. The, the, really, you get to see a lot of the benefits, why the, the church is so important. Because one of the things that God places that enables us to live out who we are in Christ is a community of other people, other Christians, that will, in unity, help us grow up in a full maturity. That it's community, it's unity in community. That allows us to grow up into full maturity because that follows the pattern of the Trinity. That was the big thought of last week, and, and, and it rhymes and all that kind of stuff. But that's a huge deal. It's in community that we can really grow up into full maturity. So we need each other to help us live out what Christ has done for us positionally. And then the verses we're going to look at today is where Paul says, not only do we need each other, but we also, there's specific things that we need to do individually to help us live out who we are positionally in Christ. And so that's what I want us to read. And in answering that and laying that out for us, the Apostle Paul answers the question, how do we change? How do we change? So let me read this for us. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Uh, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have, be, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. What does that mean? Well, the first thing that you know, I think that Paul is doing here in this passage is he's helping his readers, who are primarily a Christian Gentiles in this church of Ephesus, he's trying to help them see their need for change. Because here's what's happening. Uh, the, the, the believers, the Christians, have, they've placed their faith in Christ. Now they're positionally in Christ. But what they're doing and what many of us, if we're honest, find that we do is that they've gone back to living like they used to live before they were in Christ. 
They've returned to their old manner of living, their old self, their old nature, those kind of things. And Paul's saying, hey, don't do that. You need to change. You need to change in light of who you are, how Christ has already changed you. You need to live in light of that. And one way that he tries to motivate them towards that change is by helping them see that the the reason they shouldn't go back to living the way that they used to live is because the way they used to live was futile. It wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't helpful. It didn't get them what they really wanted. It was kind of a fueled by futile thinking that led to futile living that left them unfulfilled. In fact, let me just show you that in here. He, first thing he says is that it's, it's kind of uh, run by this futile thinking. He says, you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now, let me just take a brief aside right here and say that if you, if you are uh, not a Christian, and perhaps you're here this morning with a friend or, or someone, and, and you are, are just exploring the faith, and you're just checking this out, stuff out. Let me, let me say, this passage, it, it, it could potentially read pretty offensively to, to you, and I would understand that. But I want you to just to reserve a little bit of, of your uh, conclusion on that for just a second. Let me give you a little bit more context of what Paul's doing here. Because um, in the context of our day and age, in our culture, and Christians have just such, have such a bad reputation and really earned this reputation to be very judgmental and looking down their nose at other people and in a real like arrogant way saying, like, I'm better than you. And like, I know that that is our reputation as Christians and, and like there's been a lot done in the name of Christianity that's earned that reputation. Let me just first say, I'm sorry for that. I hate that. That is not how Christians are to live. That's not how you see Jesus living and where he's our model. He's who we're supposed to be following that. But you read this in the, this part of this passage, and you think, man, it kind of seems like this is what Paul is doing. He's talking about the Gentiles and how like their minds are, you know, the futility of their living and how their hearts are hard towards God, and therefore they're running after sensuality and, and greed for every kind of impure kind of thing and let me explain what he's, what he's doing here. This is not about Christians being better than or more moral than non-Christians. What this is, is Paul is trying to describe what happens when you look for life outside of God, which both non-Christians do because you don't believe in the God of the Bible, so you're not looking for life from him. You're going your own way. And what Christians often do when they don't live in light of who they really are. They don't live in the light of how they have been reconciled to God, and that they've come to believe that life is found in God, and yet oftentimes we, oftentimes I, decide, no, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> I don't think life is found inside, in, in God, and so I'm going to go my own way. And Paul's writing to the Christians in this church who are doing that, who are returning to walk like Gentiles and said, don't do that because here's why. Life is not found outside of God. The reason that we think that way is because our minds are messed up. And the reason that our minds are messed up is because when we Christians go back to thinking that way, we're going back to thinking that's, that's motivated by this idea that life is found outside God. It's, we're acting as if we're separated from God. And the reason that non-Christians live that way is because they are separated from God. They're not looking for life in God. Well, but if God is the source of all wisdom, like if God is really real, 
which Christians have come to believe that he is, then he's the source of all wisdom and all purpose and all of life. But if we live separate from him, then we're messed up in our thinking. We're not going to live the right way. We're going to live the wrong way. And we're going to chase after things. We're going to be given over to desires, as he says here in verse 19, that fuel us to live the different way than God says to live because we're living separated from God as Christians. We've returned our old way. And as non-Christians, that's how you live because you're not thinking that God is the way to live. So you're not interested. Well, I'm going to do this way because God says it. Well, if you're not convinced, because Paul says, kind of harsh terms here, but because your heart is hard, you're alienated from God, and you're not convinced, you're not going to look to God as a way to live. And as Christians separate themselves from God, same thing. Does that, does that make sense? What Paul's saying here to the believers, to the Christians in the, in the church, is saying, I want you, from your new perspective as someone who's in Christ, to look back at your old life and see that way of living was messed up because you didn't, you didn't believe there was a God and therefore you didn't live in line with him and that led you to wrong desires and led you to wrong living. And in the sense of the wrong living, the reason it was wrong not, is not just because it was unholy, but it was also wrong in the sense that it was futile. It didn't actually get you what you wanted. It didn't actually lead you to live in a way that fulfills your desires. And so don't go back to live that way. Life is not there. It's like this. Let me give you an illustration. Because I know that's kind of abstract. When I personally quit living in light of my relationship with God, in light of who I am in Christ, and I start going my own way, returning to like my old self, walking as a Gentile, as Paul describes it here, one of, the, one of the first things that I begin to think is that life is all about me. Perhaps you can relate to that, right? That life is all about me. I start seeing myself as the center of the universe. And that is a wrong thought. That's not true. But when I'm living separated from God, alienated God, then I think that way. I'm the center of the universe. Well, that leads to a wrong desire. That desire in me is this. I want a Krista among other people, but in this case, Krista, to live and serve me. Live for me and serve for me. I want her to be always on my beck and call because everything's about me, and so I desire for Krista to always be serving me. And then that wrong thought and wrong desire leads to wrong action. What's the wrong action? My wrong action is that I try to manipulate her, demand from her, argue with her to get her to serve me. And those are wrong things to do, but not only are those wrong things to do, but they also don't get me, my, my desire fulfilled because I'm trying to go about it in a futile way. Right? Because if I'm just demanding to Krista, you must serve me, how, do I actually get what I want? Because my wife is incredibly gracious and has learned to put up with me. For a little while, she'll just, she'll just serve me. That says a lot about her. But after a long while, if I'm continuing to live that way, she's like, hey, this is done. This is not happening. I'm not, I'm not going to be serving you and just as if I just live for you all the time. If you're just demanding it and manipulating it, like this relationship begins to crumble. And do I find that I'm getting what I want? No. Why? Because I'm thinking wrong 
I'm desiring the wrong thing, and I'm going about trying to fulfill that desire in an unhealthy way that doesn't actually lead to me getting fulfilled even in my wrong desire. Well, guys, that's pretty much is futility to every degree. Here's another example. When I'm living different from how God, like separate from God, I've returned my own way of living. That not positionally am I separate from God because I'm always positionally in Christ as a believer. But practically, I'm living as if I've returned to a time before I was in Christ. And I'm going my own way. One of the other things that I really begin to value is what everybody thinks about me. It really matters a lot to me what everyone thinks about me. And I feel like I get my value and my sense of worth from other people. Well, that's wrong thinking. Biblical thinking is that we get our sense of value and worth from God. But I start looking to created things to tell me that I'm worth and I'm valuable and I'm worthwhile. And what that then, that wrong thinking, leads me to a wrong desire. That wrong desire is that I want to put on, um, or actually, I'd say, I want to hide. <laughs> because I think if people really do know me, they won't think I'm of great worth or value. And so I, I, it makes me want to hide, wrong desire, which then leads to wrong actions. What do I do? I, I lie, I distort the truth, I cover up, I put on a mask. Well, do those activities get me get my wrong desire fulfilled, satisfied? No, and I know that because what I find after doing that is that people like me. They think really well about me, but it's a false me. It's not who I really am, and I'm aware of that. And so they, I know that they like the me that I pretend to be, and I'm still left with the question, what, do I really matter? Am I really of worth if they really knew me? And so I had a wrong thinking leads to wrong desire and leads to fulfill that wrong desire in a futile way in a way that doesn't actually fulfill that desire. It's messed up. And guys, that's life outside of God, Paul's saying. And he's saying to the Christians in the church of Ephesus, and he's saying to us, hey, don't don't go back to that. Change. Change. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Don't walk as you once did before Christ. You need to change. But... How do you do that? How do you change? It's so hard. Well, verses 20 through, or 22 through 24, he tells us what our means, what our ability is to change. What are the means for change? Let me read those, those verses for us. He says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. Key, key phrases in these verses are to, to put off your old self and to put on your new self. Now, these words, these phrases in the Greek, as Paul's writing, are really interesting. Because he uses uh, the verb tense for put off and put on. He uses the aorist uh, verb tense, which is uh, different than any other kind of verb tense that we have in the English language. It speaks of a, a past one-time finished action. So something that happened in the past at one moment and is finished forever that then has prolonged effects. It's kind of an interesting concept. It's, 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 it's a Greek tense. But basically what he's saying here is that you are to put off your old self and put on your new sense. Is how we read it. But there's this play on words because he's using this aorist tense. He's saying really... You have put off 
your old self. And you have put on your new self. And the time that that took place is if you are a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then it's at that exact moment when you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, at that moment, you put off your old self and you put on your new self positionally. Does that make sense? It's a one-time finish action. When you put your faith in Christ and you are placed in Christ and you're no longer who you used to be, you put off that old self, you've gone from a sinner to who you never once were. You're in Christ, you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and now you are a saint. That's a big deal. One of the things that that means for us on an application side of how do you change is that the beginning step to ever change for drastic heart-level change, character change, it begins with this, according to the Bible. It begins with a decision. We must make a decision. And if you today have never placed your faith in Christ, and that's, that's just want to be real clear with you, your first step is, is to arrive on, on a decision about Jesus. And if you believe that he is your Savior, then you've taken that first step that really will enable you to change. Because at that point, positionally, you put off your old self, you put on your new self. Okay. It's kind of like getting married. It's like when you get married, on your wedding day, you're making a decision. You're saying, all right, I do. I'm making these promises. Now, these promises are for forever, but at, right at that moment, you're saying, I'm making a decision, and when I make that decision, I change positionally. I go from being single to being married. Now, every day afterwards, I have to choose if I'm going to live in light of who I am. But in that decision was when you decided that led to a, to a change in position. And that's, that's the same thing with Christianity. So when you decide, put your faith in Christ, you change position. You become a new person. That's the first step in changing. The second step in changing is realizing it, or you could also say remembering that you're new. Realizing or remembering that you're new. It's living in light of the decision that you've made. It's living in light of what Christ has done for you and making you a new person. Um, the, uh, let me read this again. So he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say put off your old behaviors and put on new behaviors. You notice that? I point that out because one of the most common mistakes, and really I think one of the biggest misunderstandings when it comes to all of Christianity, is that we, we often equate Christianity with behavioral change. If you're a Christian, then you're supposed to do this, this, and this, and not do this, and this, and this. And that, that's really what it, it's about. It's about a new morality. But guys, that's not what Christianity is fundamentally about. It does lead to that. It should lead to that. But that is on the periphery. That Christianity is fundamentally about becoming not a, 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 a new uh, kind of person. It's becoming a new person altogether. It's not new morality it's a new identity. That 
Paul says is that we're to put off our old self and put on our new self, not just put on old behaviors and new behaviors. Now, if you follow the passage, and we'll get into it some next week, in 25 through 31, he gets into all kinds of behaviors that should be true of, of, of people who are in Christ, things we shouldn't do, things we should do. But before he gets into any of those things, you have to go through verses 22 through 24. You have to become a new person. And oftentimes, we put the cart before the horse when we think about thing, just behavior before our identity, recognizing, remembering, realizing who we are in order to change. Sometimes when I'm talking to uh, non-Christians who are exploring the faith, they'll ask me, hey, I'm thinking about becoming a Christian, but does that mean that I have to quit sleeping with my boyfriend? Does that mean I have to quit sleeping with my girlfriend? Does that mean that I have to uh, start giving money away? Or does that mean I have to forgive my dad? And I sit there in those conversations, and, you know, it's like, I say, yes, but, yes, but, you put the cart before the horse. You see, because it's not, it's not about behavior first. It's about becoming new first. And in fact, you won't desire to do those things or have the power to do those things until you become new. That's the essence that's going to help you change. And so it's 22 through 24 before 25 through 31. Now, the reason that becoming new enables you to change is because some of the great truths of the Scripture is that when we become new, three through three, well, lot, actually lots of things happen, but three of the things I'll just hit on right now is that we're, be, we're given a new mind, the mind of Christ. We're, giving, we're given new desires, and then those new desires lead to uh, new actions. First, let me say that we're given a new mind. Second Corinthians chapter 2 says it this way. It says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, now contrast that with what is said about how Gentiles live who are separated from God. It says that their understanding had been darkened. Well, here as Christians, not because of something we've done, but because when we're made new, the Spirit comes in us. We're not no longer alienated from God, separated from God, but we're actually joined with God, placed in Christ. What happens then is that we are given, as he ends up and summarizes his thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're given, he says, the mind of Christ, which is, allows us to understand the things of God. Well, like that's, that's a big statement, isn't it? What results from being given the mind of Christ? Well, one of those things is that we're given new desires. One of my favorite passages I find a lot of hope in is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this. It says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Meaning that as a new person, God is now at work in you to cause you to, to desire that's the idea that, that's captured in this idea, to will and to work, to desire and move you to action according to God's good pleasure. 
This is an incredible verse that, that this is what happens when we are placed in Christ. We become, become new. We're given new desires that God's in us causing us to will and to work, to desire to act and to act according to his good pleasures. What this means, guys, just practically is that whenever you're facing temptation, we've all been there before where you're, you're like, Someone's just really upset you, and you just want to let them have it. And everything, you feel like everything in you wants to let them have it. You can say in faith, based on these promises of who you are, as you remember who you are in Christ, I'm new, you can say to yourself, it feels like everything in me wants to do that. But really, I am just listening to my old man, my old self. That who I ultimately am in Jesus is I'm a new person, a new creation. And that part of me, it wants to do what God wants me to do. So I feel like everything in me just wants to go my own way. But there's actually a life in me that's actually more essential to who I am because I'm in Christ. It's my new identity. Is that in God, he's at work in me, causing me to will and to act according to his good pleasure. A part of me really does want to treat this person with grace and extend forgiveness. Guys, that's the promise here of Scripture. But you have to believe it. It's faith. But this is what Christ has done whenever you put your faith in him. You've positionally changed, and what that means is that you have the ability to obey him. It means not that we don't just tell ourselves, hey, this is something I should do or I should not do. You can also tell yourself, hey, and this is something that I, according to who I really am in Christ, want to do. Or that's something that I don't actually want to do in Christ. Because Christ is in me giving me new desires. And those in that new mind, with those new desires, New desires lead to godly, holy actions. It's the opposite of how I described the Gentiles. Their thinking was futile because their understanding was darkened because they're alienated from God. That leads to them chasing after, being given over by desires of sensuality and, and impurity in, in all kinds of ways. Well, here you have, we're, we're in Christ. We've been given the mind of Christ, given new desires, and then that leads to activity of holiness. Because that's who we are. Yes, that's the essence. Those are the key things. That, that's the means to change. And we can't change if we're left to do it on our own. But in Christ, we can. We have everything we need. In the gospel of what Jesus has done for us, gives us the means to change. But... There's one other thing here that's really important for us to grasp, and that's what he says in verse 23. He says, um, let me read 23 again. He says, uh, and uh, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And what he's saying here is that we have, we have this deal of being to put off our old self and to put on our new self. And yet, in the Greek, and in the Greek of this passage is really interesting. Paul's using all kinds of, like, interesting phrases, and, it, like, commentators are all over the place on, like, exactly how to understand it. But what I understand him saying is that when he, he says in the aorist term, hey, 
put off and put on, like it's already been done for you positionally, he also ties that to an imperative. And that's why in our, new, in our translations, when you read this, it reads like it's a command. Put off and put on. It's like that's something I should do. And I think what Paul is saying here is that it is something we should do repeatedly in light of what's already been done for you in Christ. So you're not having to make yourself new. That's done positionally in Christ. But you are to realize it. You're to live in light of it regularly. And the reason that I really think that's what Paul's saying is because that's verse 23, when he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that the tense of that is present progressive. It's continual. It's repeated. You are to regularly be renewed in the spirit of your mind according to who you are positionally in Christ. Practically, guys, what that means is that we need to have our mind transformed. And the way that we can have our mind transformed is by letting God let these truths sink into our hearts. And that can happen when we're in the Word. We're spending time with God in the Word, hearing Him say, this is who we are. And that can happen when by repeating the truth of God's Word to ourselves regularly, letting God let, uh, have that sink in. Practically speaking, this looks like regularly telling yourself, I'm new in Christ. I want to act according to God's will. I'm no longer who I used to be. I don't have to sin any longer because I am in Christ. I have the power to live a righteous life. I am loved. I am worthwhile. I'm not the center of the universe, and yet who is the center of the universe? God himself came and died on the cross for my sins. I matter, and I'm of value. And you just start repeating gospel truths over and over and over again, letting them renew your mind as God uses them to penetrate your heart that you would begin to see yourself differently. And when you do that, then you're putting off and putting on the new self. You're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that moves you to change. But you've got to do the discipline of, re- of repeating these truths and letting God speak them to you in your word. Just like when exercising, like I've got to do the discipline. If I'm going to change physically, I've got to do the discipline of eating right and exercising. Well, guys, here's the activity for us. If you want to change... When it comes to your heart and your character, you want to become more like Jesus? The activity that you must do is speak the truth of the gospel of what Christ has done for you and its effects into yourself over and over again. Let God speak that into you through his word over and over again that he would help you believe it. And then you have the power, you have the ability to change. You'll begin to live in light of who you really are. However, That's not easy to do. It takes discipline. It gets tiresome, gets wearisome. So what will motivate you to do that? Well, the couple of verses that I skipped over, 20 and 21, let me read those for us. Verse 20, he says, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This phrase that is not how you learn Christ. It's really interesting. And again, going back to the Greek, there's, there's uh, never a time where this idea of learning 
someone is used. That this word for learning or how you learned Christ, that, you, that uh, word is always used for like a book or like an, an object of, uh, of material, the kind of, kind of study in that sense, but never in learning someone. And I think what Paul is trying to do is emphasize that the key to being motivated to change is goes back to Jesus. It's what Jesus taught, but it's also who Jesus was. And when we, guys, aren't just remembering not to go back to our old way of living because it was because of its futility, though that's helpful as a as a reminder to motivate you to live differently. But not just that. And it's, not just, it's just not leaning into doctrinal truths. So doctrinal truths are incredibly important. Like I'm in Christ, positionally in Christ. I'm a new person. I need to remember that. that that's helpful in helping you change. The thing that we need more than anything else is we need our minds to be captured by the person of Jesus. It's when we learn Christ that we're really moved to change. And it's because of Christ we have the ability to change. Here's what this would look like. It's like you saying, okay, why can I change? Why can I put off my old self and all its weakness and frailty and put on a new self that's righteous and holy? It's like God. Why can I do that? Well, it's because Jesus, God the Son, put off what was rightful is his, all his glory and beauty. And as Philippians chapter 2 talks about, humbled himself, not clinging to the privileges of deity, but putting them off and putting on human frailty and weakness. And then going to the cross and putting on our sins so that through Christ, we can put off our sins and put on his righteousness and holiness. That we can be clothed in Christ. And guys, when you see Christ putting off what was rightfully is and putting on what was rightfully ours, that we could put off what is rightfully ours, our sin, and put on what was rightfully his, his righteousness, then that captures you. It captures your heart. Your spirit of your thinking begins to be renewed. It's Christ that motivates us to remember who we are. And it's Christ who enables us to live according to who we are, which then allows us to change and become more like Christ. He's the essence of it all. As go, keep going back to this marriage analogy, but it, it's like this. And kind of use this as a way to kind of summarize everything I've said this morning. Because if you followed with me, if you followed me, then good for you. Because I know that was not easy stuff to probably follow. But it's like it's like a guy. If you imagine a guy that's a womanizer, and you know he gets around, and you know he's been with tons of women, he just uses them and discards them. But then one day he meet he meets the woman of his dreams. And he completely doesn't deserve her. But for some reason, she falls in love with him. 
and they get married. And on that wedding day, he says, I do, and she says, I do. In that moment, his position is forever changed. He's no longer single. He's now a married man. But every night, he goes to bed, and he's just not used to wearing his wedding ring. And so he can't really sleep in it, so he always takes it off. And he puts it on his bedside table, and he goes to sleep. And every night he wakes, uh, every morning he wakes up, and he stands up, and he, and he sees his wedding ring, and he has a decision to make. And his decision to make is, is, is he going to put his ring back on? And in his mind, what that decision is really a decision of is, is he, is he going to live without that ring and, and go back to his old self? Even though he's still a married man, his position will not have changed, but he will have decided, no, I'm going to, today I'm going to live as if I'm not married. I'm going to return to my old ways. Or he'll decide, no, I'm going to put my ring on, again, which doesn't change his position. He's married, ring or not. But he's saying, I'm putting the ring on in order to help me live in light of who I already am. That's my decision. And sometimes he holds that ring in his hands, and he can't decide if he's going to put it on or not. And sometimes to help him decide, he thinks back at his old way of life. And the way he sees it, he says, I had, yeah, had sex with lots of women. But in the end, it, never, it was never satisfying enough. It, never, it was futile. It didn't do it for me. And so I'm, so I'm going to live like a married man. But sometimes that doesn't do it for him. And so he says, no, what am I going to do? He says, well, I made these vows. I got married. I've got a marriage certificate. I could think of that. Okay, well, yeah, I should live as a married man. He thinks of these, these, this law, this, this doctrine, if you will. And sometimes that can cause him to do it. But what really causes him to do it with great joy and love is that when he holds that ring in his hand and he looks down at the bed where his wife is still sleeping and he sees her and he says, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. She's way more than I ever deserve. And being captured by her, he quickly and with joy puts the ring on his finger and in love lives in light of who he really is. Friends, that's how we change. Because of what Christ did for us, we have moved from being a sinner to a saint. Our position has changed, but we live in light of it. When we remember our old self, it, it wasn't satisfying. When we remember what Christ has done for us in, in, in our justification by faith and our giving us a new identity, because the thing that really compels us is when we remember how we've learned Jesus, and when you continue to learn Jesus, he captures your imagination and you're moved, you're compelled. The love of Christ controls you to live in light of who you are and in light of how he has enabled, giving you the means to live out who you really are. And may we do that. Let me pray. Father, God, may you drill these truths home to our hearts that our minds would be renewed that we live in light of what you've already done for us in Christ, that we would put off our old self, knowing that you did put it off once and for all, but that we may not return to it, and that you have put us 
put on our new self, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, holy and righteous positionally in him, but God, may we live in light of it. May the gospel be regularly rehearsed in our minds so that we hide your truth in our hearts that it would fuel us and that we'd be rooted in who we are. And Lord, may you capture us by Christ, that we'd be compelled to live in light of how he has loved us. That Lord, we would put off our old self and put on our new self in light of how Christ put off what was rightfully his and put on what was rightfully ours. And God, may that lead to change that we would honor and glorify you more and more in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.